Rinkwide Vancouver. On a night, the Vancouver Canucks became the first team in the National Hockey League to 30 wins this season. A familiar storyline played out once again at Rogers Arena as Andre Kuzmenko found himself in the coach's doghouse yet again. And the Russian winger watched the entire third period of the Canucks 2-1 win over the Arizona Coyotes from the bench. We've got lots to talk about. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway. Jeff Patterson along with Farhan Lalji of TSN. And we're here to break down a surprisingly spicy affair, Farhan, between the Canucks and the Coyotes. Yeah, who'd have thought, right? I mean, these two teams don't necessarily have a lot of hate for each other. And the Canucks are better this year. The Coyotes are better this year, right? I mean, usually there's very little at stake when these two teams play in the last few years. But obviously both teams uh, understand that, um, you know, they're in a different place this year. And from a Canucks standpoint, I think early in the game, they wanted to pay heed to Rick Tockett's message from this morning about, you know, just like laying it all out there. And, you know, you've got a certain amount of games you're left before you get to the All-Star break and you've got to empty the tank. And, you know, they, they put out the fact that it's the first game home after a long road trip. Um, just put it in front of them because you know teams typically struggle at home for the first game after those trips. And the Canucks started out real well. Uh, you have to think that um, O'Brien wanting to get into it with Lafferty and, and all of that that happened in the first period. Nikita Zadorov with his fight, like a lot of it was... It kind of set itself up for, as you mentioned, a surprisingly spicy affair, but they got at it early and it, it just kind of continued. Not necessarily the fights, but you could tell there was a, an intensity to this game for the middle of January. Yeah, there's some good young talent on this Arizona team. I didn't think that Liam O'Brien was going to be the guy, the first name uh, that we talked about. Uh, Connor Ingram probably should be. He's been uh, a pleasant surprise for them, and he held them in there yet again. But Thatcher Demko outduels him at the other end of the ice, and Thatcher Demko coming off a shutout in Buffalo. He watched from the bench in Columbus at the end of the road trip, and so last two starts for Thatcher Demko, just one goal against. And the way that he has played at home all season long, the way this team has played on home ice, 15-4-1, as I mentioned right off the top. The first team in the National Hockey League to 30 wins, and with results elsewhere around the NHL, the Vancouver Canucks back on top of the overall standings at the completion of play. It's interesting that we're seeing a little bit of a trend here, and it goes back to the Pittsburgh game towards the end of the road trip, but Pittsburgh, and then Buffalo, Columbus, and now Arizona all these one-goal games. Rick Tockett has uh, wanted for a while for his team to get comfortable in these uncomfortable games. And I don't know how uncomfortable a game against anybody in the middle of January can truly be, but you know the, the blowout wins are fun. But I do think that there is some value in finding ways to grind out victories here, and they have done that in three of their last four games. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, when you look at it, you know, early on in the season, it was they were winning certain ways. And I remember there were some comments. I think Bruce Boudreau may have made a, made one at one point about how who they beaten, right? And and I think others had suggested that. Well, they found ways to win at home. They found ways to win on the road. They've beaten the bad teams that they need to beat. They've beaten the good teams that people measure them up against. They've won games. I mean, we we know that this team leads the, the league in goal differential. So they found a way to win high scoring, up tempo games, and they find ways to win two one low scoring, low event games. Right? You mentioned Thatcher. Demko, I think he gives up the first goal and not that it was his fault because of what happened in front of him, but fourth shot of the game, right? He was probably asleep yep. because nothing was going on from a Coyote standpoint. The Canucks dominated the first period and I thought they were great in the third period. And we've said this a lot with how they were able to not necessarily nurse leads, but just play professional hockey in the third period to get these games to the finish line. And 
even though there wasn't a lot against him in the final minute, he needed to make two good saves, right? JT Miller wins a couple of faceoffs. I think he was 17 of 18 at that point. And then I think he lost one at the end and they got one more chance with a second left. And still he was right there when he needed to be right. So everything you kind of need, you know, the power play looked great. Only wound up with one goal, but I think uh, the first four power plays, I think they looked really, really good. Whatever you need, different ways to win, different ways to generate, different ways to control. They found ways to do that this season. Yeah, and on a night where the power play goes one for five, it did score once. And ultimately, that's the difference in a a one-goal hockey game. So you could suggest that the power play did win them this one, although it certainly had opportunities later in the game to really put the Coyotes away and distance the Canucks. It didn't happen that way. I would agree with you. Like There was lots of puck movement. Uh, a reluctant to shoot in the second period for whatever reason. They seemed to want to pass it into the net. They came close on a couple of occasions, but one for five, but the the penalty kill was perfect going two for two on the night. Canucks fairly disciplined, and as we said, Liam O'Brien not disciplined. Penalty minute leader in the National Hockey League with uh, the seven minutes that he got in the first period, the first guy in the NHL to go over 100, and you and I are old enough, Farhan, to scoff at that notion that it took until the middle of January for somebody in the National Hockey League to crest 100 penalty minutes, but uh, (laughs) the game has changed, and Liam O'Brien is your penalty minute leader. He played a bunch in the first period. He didn't play a whole lot, obviously, as uh, the Coyotes trailed, and we're trying to get back in this hockey game. Elias Pettersson opens the scoring up to 24 goals now, and man, did he lean into that one-timer. We've seen that uh, throughout his career. The one-timer is elite. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Doesn't use it as much, and, and doesn't score with it as often as he has in other seasons, but put on a tee by Quinn Hughes after an absolutely clean face-off win by JT Miller, and Miller was dominant in the face-off circle, as you mentioned. You give Petey a, a clear look like that. I think Connor Ingram probably thinking that that shot's going to go glove side, and instead uh, Petey goes back across the goaltender's body, up over the stick and in, but a, just a big-time shot to open the scoring late in that first period. Well, a clean face-off win, as you say. One-time pass, one-time shot. The forward actually did a pretty good job to try to get across, but the puck was off Pedersen's stick so quick. I think he's like one inch below the crossbar and one inch inside the post. It was the perfect top corner shot, right? So, you know, there's been a lot of noise around Petey because, number one, he's been playing excellent since the start of the new year, but... As he's played that well and the Canucks crest the, the midway point of the season and they're playing as well as they are, the contract conversation is going to come up again. And, you know, we know the the out Patrick Alvin quotes in IMAX column last week where he didn't necessarily suggest that he was panicking, but you, you kind of got the sense that there was a little bit of let's get on with it because I'd like some clarity on a number of topics so I can make moves going forward. And certainly no one's asked Petey about it again, but you know, that conversation's out there and he just continues to deliver. There's been no distraction on his part at all, especially as the calendar turned to 2024 and he's going to head into the all-star break on some kind of run here. We had asked a poll question between games earlier in the week on Rinkwide Twitter account about Elias Pettersson is on fire right now. Brock Besser's had this incredible season. He still has a cushion, but the gap is narrowing. And Elias Pettersson up to 24 goals. Brock Besser's sitting on 27. He's had a couple that have been disallowed along. Should have had 28. I know. That was a it, bad call. That was yeah, a no, bad Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought call. that up. And, and we can talk about the play in a second here. But I just went back and looked at it. On December the 11th, Brock had 22 goals. Petey had 11. Oh, wow. Yeah twice as many as Elias Pettersson. And as we know, 
Uh, Petey has put it in high gear here, particularly out on the road trip. And not that Brock is any kind of slouch. And Brock had a two-goal game in Pittsburgh, but the gap has been narrowed considerably 13-5 to since December 11th in Elias Pettersson's favor. So the Derby is on now. I mean, I, Brock's going to get to 30, still a pretty good chance. He could get to 40. Elias Pettersson came that close to a 40-goal season last year, finished with 39, and I'm sure he would like to uh, get to 40 as well. So a little internal competition. I don't think they care as long as they continue to score. does look like we're going to have a goal-scoring derby down the stretch for the Vancouver Canucks now. Yeah, and it's good. And, you know, and getting back to, to the goal, right, it, it almost looked like Hughes scored it off Besser. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. the way that, yep. that pass came, like, wow, did, did Brock even know? And I mean, you know, he had to stick in the right spot and was able to to make the play, but that was such a thin call on Miller. Like that was a call that if it doesn't get called and the Coyotes want to review it, it's not getting overturned. Like that was, that was a lame call. I always have trouble figuring out what is goaltender interference, and I'm usually wrong when there are official reviews, but it feels to me like let it go and let the Coyotes challenge it if they feel strongly that it was goaltender interference. But I'm with you that uh, if it had gone to review, no way. And like, there's an overhead shot that shows JT Miller like standing his ground, but totally legal position and uh, whatever. I mean, uh, Canucks responded a few minutes later, but I suppose that could have been the turning point of the hockey game. They didn't let it. Their one nothing lead short-lived because uh, old friend Travis Dermott gets his first of the season, and this kind of leads us into the other big storyline beyond the fact that the Canucks come off the road and they get a win and continue to pad their points up to 64 on the season now. But uh, again, and and I, I'm tired of the storyline, but it's not going away. So it has to be addressed. And it started on the Dermot goal. There were breakdowns elsewhere. I don't want to completely pin it on Andre Kuzmenko, but ultimately Kuzmenko is responsible for that side of the ice and just completely unaware that Travis Dermott's behind him. The puck squirts free and Dermott able to snap at home short side on on Thatcher Demko. But just a a bad look on Kuzmenko for a guy whose defensive play is under the microscope on a nightly basis. And then to compound his problems, that just ghastly giveaway in the second period. What's going on in his mind? Who knows? But you can sort of understand in a tight game, uh, Rick Tockett got the pulse of the bench and clearly didn't feel comfortable putting Kuzmenko out there after the second period. And so he watched the entire third period from the bench. His uh, ice time on the night, 11 minutes and two seconds, five minutes and 39 seconds on the power play farhand, just 523 at even strength for Andre Kuzmenko. And you just wonder, you know, we've asked before, but where does it go from here? Well, you're right. And and then he, they get a power play opportunity in the third period with the lead and they don't put him out there. They put in yep. a Pew Suter for that as well. So he didn't get to to pad that offense there. But, you know, number one, that goal, it wasn't laziness, right? I, like I think Kuzmenko's past that he's trying, but there is a lack of awareness and, and poor reads. And certainly awareness was the issue on that play, not knowing someone was behind him. I'll tell you what we're not talking about enough on that play. Philip Roenick's effort on the dump in. Like, it was not good enough. It was Kerfoot who made the pass to Dermott. The puck gets dumped into Kerfoot. Go watch that again and watch Philip Roenick's effort in the corner on Kerfoot. And the quick separation that Kerfoot was able to get, and Roenick was just like, okay, whatever, right? And 
the puck luckily deflected over to Dermott, right? So I don't, I don't know that that contributed to the lack of awareness on Kuzmenko's part or not. But look, it, it's bad. And for him, there's just no margin for error. Was Whereas for a player like Ronick, there is a margin for error because he does so much positive on the offensive side of the puck. And he's he's created a, a real good dynamic with Quinn Hughes when he's playing with him. So, so I get it, right? I mean, we're not talking about the same situation with both players. And I know in the second period turnover, uh, the puck was deflected a little bit, but it was a careless play, right? When you've got that many players ahead of you, you can't make that play. But on top of that, that line, did they even play, right? Like, and I say that facetiously because they did play uh, based on the ice time, but they were invisible. On the first power play, Kuzmenko had two deflections. So that was the only time I noticed him. But on five on five play, the only time we noticed that line was when Suter was on the ice instead of Kuzmenko, right? Like late, later on in the in the third period when he got out there, that was the only time I noticed, the, you know, the other two players on that line. So just looking at it, I'm thinking, what, like these guys collectively, and this has been one of the problems because as good as the lotto line has been, that second line has been a complete black hole and they were that, Yep. right? So Kuzmenko makes the mistakes and he's going to wear it and that's fine. But the other two guys, I'm not noticing at all. Like, at all. Yeah, and it was a curious choice uh, that Pia Suter was the guy that replaces Kuzmenko on third-period power plays. Rick Tockett trusts him. There's some responsibility there, but the offense doesn't exactly flow uh, from Pia Suter. They would have been better off, in my mind, if they'd put Ronick on there, right? Especially with a, with a lead, and you don't want to be too greedy at that point. Like, that would have made a little more sense. And I'm just looking at my notes. The only play I noticed was with 12 minutes to go in the hockey game, Mikheyev gets a shot on goal on a pass from Suter. And like, that was it. And Kuzmenko wasn't on the line at that point. And there was nothing else there. Right. And and look, Kuzmenko's in the crosshairs. We get that. He's sort of the flashpoint uh, on so many of these postgame pods. But Ilya Mikheyev has completely disappeared as well. It just to me, like, it doesn't feel like you park Kuzmenko. You know, they got the Leafs coming in on Saturday. I don't know if Kuzmenko gets the leash and gets to play again, if he becomes a, a complete healthy scratch. But... They're not carrying any extra forwards. They sent Linus Carlson back down to the farm when they got off the road. Now, Abbotsford's at home. It would be an easy call-up, and it might be Carlson. Maybe it's Vasily Podkolzin time. Who knows? But it is going to be curious to see, are we back to square one with Rick Tockett and Andre Kuzmenko? Is it just turn the page? They won the hockey game, and you know nothing to see here. But I look at a guy like Niels Hoaglander, who played 10 minutes and two seconds. And leaves his stamp on this game. Farhan, he, is, he sets up the game winner. He draws the penalty that led to the power play goal. So really, Hoagletter had a hand in both of the Canuck goals. And a couple of hits along the way. The effort level is there. He's in on the forecheck. I, I just wonder, even if Kuzmenko plays on Saturday, like that line, as you said, like it's going nowhere. Some lines work. The lotto line has worked incredibly well. Some lines just don't work. And Suter with the two Russian wingers, it's just not happening. So... But you knew there was not a real offensive upside in Suter's game, right? Like, we knew that. And at the end of the day, we talked about this team needing a top six forward. They probably, if they want to stick with the lotto line, need a center. Like, they can swing between the second and third lines, right? Like, that's probably where they need to upgrade. And, I mean, Kuzmenko, that situation, as you mentioned, is not getting any better. If it's me, I put Hoaglander up there. And I know that fourth line with Lafferty and Oman 
has had some effectiveness and they're all kind of charged with playing the similar game, get in on the forecheck and play in straight lines. And even though there's an offensive element to Hoaglander's game, he's embraced what he's being asked to do on the fourth line. But I think you could put him up on the second line and you could have some success there if there was potentially a distributor there, right? So, and I'm not trying to defend Kuzmenko at all. I think, you know, because we know his problems are at the other end of the ice, but if you were scoring you know, you, you probably get more leash and he's not doing any of it. He's not even noticeable five on five. So like that line right now is a complete, you know, like it's at least in Mikheyev's case and, and even in Suter's case, they're doing what they need to defensively, but you need more from a second line. Like you can't just ask them to tread water. You know, they didn't even tread water because it gets scored on. But I would just break that line up. Like I, I'm with you. Like, But you can't wreck the third line and you can't wreck the first line. So how are you going right. to break? Like, what are you going to do? Something. Because what they're doing right now is something's better than nothing at this But then stage. you got to take Kuzmenko out of the lineup and bring in Archdeep Baines or something like that to be your fourth line winger. Well, that's why I'm saying Pud Colson. Maybe it's time for Pud to, to I'd take get that. another look. We'll see. No, I mean, I think this organization has decisions to make here in the next 48 hours before they play the Leafs. And of course, uh, with Abbotsford at home, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the same guy for the remainder of the homestand. You could shuttle some players, give guys an opportunity. I am curious to see what Rick Talk and the coaching staff and management decide to do here. So one one after one, the second period, the Canucks are a little sleepy, and the Coyotes actually took over, and Thatcher Demko was forced to make some stops. Tyler Myers with a couple of penalties uh, in quick succession, the interference call on Zucker, and then they kill that one off, and he goes right back to the box uh, after uh, a slashing call. So Coyotes had the two power plays. They were without Nick Schmaltz, who leads this team in power play goals, and you know, in a one-goal game where the Canucks did score on the power play. And this surprised me, actually, when I was doing preparation for this game. The Coyotes have better special team numbers than the Vancouver Canucks, both on the power play and on the penalty kill. Their power play has been really good on the road. I didn't score on this one, and that was a factor, but they did have the opportunities in the second period. But even at that, like, and maybe that kind of you know put the Canucks behind the eight ball a little bit, uh, having a penalty kill, and some guys don't get into the game as much. Whatever It took them 15 and a half minutes, Farhan, to get their first shot on goal, yeah. and it finally came on the power play. So Connor Ingram didn't have to do a whole lot in that second period, but uh, the Canucks, they ultimately finished the second with six shots on goal, uh, aided by a couple of late power plays, but still long stretches. And we've seen this from this team. As much as they have been among the league leaders in goals and goals per game, there are still stretches in a lot of their games where you wonder, like, how? How are they league leaders? And the second period, certainly the first 15 minutes, was another indication of that. Yeah, you no, you're right. And those two penalties early on, like within the first four minutes, uh, certainly gave them an opportunity, right? That second penalty, Myers takes it, but it the sequence starts off a Lafferty turnover that leads to a pretty good Clayton Keller right. chance. But on that second power play, like, Coyotes don't even set up. Right. Like the PK was really good. The up ice pressure was really good. So, um, you know, they, they didn't put themselves in a lot of stress. You know how many high danger scoring chances Phoenix had in this entire game? Five. Three of them came in the second period. So, you know, I think overall, like we look at the shots on goal and we think the ice was tilted. But in terms of elite, elite opportunities, I mean, you know, the Coyotes glove the one puck in the net. Um, <laughs> they didn't necessarily have a ton. Right. Nope. Like when, you know, when you look at it and then uh, when the Canucks got that power play again, I think with about six and a half minutes to go or somewhere like that in the in the period comes off a really good sequence by the third line. Right. When Dakota Joshua gets taken down and then just some great opportunities on that power play where they finally kind of righted it. But in the first 15 minutes of that period, when we think the ice is tilted. There aren't an overwhelming amount of shots that, that are forcing Thatcher Demko to pull a groin or anything like that. 
No, and boy, if Dakota Joshua thought he was going to score, there are some penalties that are like really good penalties, and that was a good penalty by Travis Dermott. I mean, it looked like a tap-in. You know, so maybe Dakota Joshua was owed one, whatever the case. Uh, just some great work. Final minute of the second period, looks like they maybe go into the locker room, tied 1 1, and play that starts with Tyler Myers. And let's uh, give credit where it's due. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people, we talked about penalties earlier in the game. You know, the beauty of the size that he has, the reach, you know, the big poke check in the neutral zone that thwarts the Coyotes' attack and turns the puck back the other way. And from there, Bluger to Hoaglander and Great second effort and stick to itness, if that's a word, from Dakota Joshua and the hands as well for his 12th of the year. And that turned out to be the game winning goal. So a nice sequence there. And uh, it's just been an incredible year for Dakota Joshua. Uh, just looking back, like Rick Tockett has coached 81 games now for the Vancouver Canucks. Dakota Joshua obviously was a healthy scratch in that 10 1 win in San Jose earlier this year. So this was the 80th game that Dakota Joshua has played since the coaching change last January. 17 goals in those 80 games, 12 of them this season now, a new career high for Dakota Joshua. Yeah, one of the pending unrestricted free agents for this team, and you better pay Dakota Joshua, right? Like, you got to find a way to keep him here, and I know there's bigger questions with number 40, but they they got to find a way. Like, of all these guys that they're kind of taking shots on on one-year deals and, you know, and they're comfortable with that, I think this is one guy that you want to invest in at some point here, and you know, you talk about the hands. I mean, that was the most impressive part that he's got a guy on his back. He still manages to get his stick on the Hoaglander pass to the front of the net or shot to the front of the net, whichever it was. It looked like a shot pass to me and he gets a piece of it. And then still, as he's working past the net to be able to maintain his balance and put that shot high, that's a gold scorer's finish right there. And, you know, we're giving a lot of flowers to Hoaglander in this game. About two minutes before that, he makes a great effort on a four check to set up Nils Oman for a good chance. Makes that play as well there. He's only on the ice because prior to that, he was on the ice in place of Garland, who was out on PP2 on the previous shift. So that's why Hoaglander's out there with Joshua. And certainly that paid dividends late in the period. So both of them, I think, you know, as we try to make the case, we're trying to get Hoaglander up the lineup and move on from Kuzmenko right now. Both of those guys are doing yeoman's work. Well, it wasn't a classic by any stretch of the imagination, but it's two more points for the Vancouver Canucks on a night when Edmonton wins again and Vegas wins again. Uh, but they do get some help on the out-of-town scoreboard, I suppose. Although, again, when the Canucks are just rolling through uh, their opponents these days, what's happening around them in the National Hockey League doesn't really matter. But uh, they're trying to distance themselves from teams like Los Angeles and Seattle has had a terrific run for the last six weeks or so. Uh, Seattle lost, Calgary lost, the LA Kings end up losing to Nashville as well. So uh, sort of some mixed results around the Vancouver Canucks on the out-of-town scoreboard. But the the score that mattered the most for them was the 2-1 victory over the Arizona Coyotes. And as we said right off the top, some feeling in this game. It was the first time that these two teams have met. Now, they will play two more times, but not until the last uh, week and a half of the season. So it's not likely that there'll be a whole lot of carryover from whatever got into them tonight. There is some value in the Canucks being tested physically. They brought in Nikita Zadorov. This is part of what he has to do. You know, he hasn't fought a lot for the Vancouver Canucks. I think this is his third scrap. There was the one in Chicago where he felt that uh, maybe the Blackhawks were taking runs at Elias Pettersson and tried to step in there and hear, obviously, uh, Liam O'Brien... Uh, crazy that he only got two. I mean, just drops the gloves and goes at Sam Lafferty, who wasn't interested in fighting. And 
Whatever. I mean, that's the role Liam O'Brien plays. But uh, again, you know, Zadorov won the fight. Yeah. You know, like you said, he's not he's willing, but he's not a guy that's going to go looking for it. And he finished. And I'm not a big fighting guy. You know that. But he finished strong uh, in that. They went into the box. O'Brien's still oh. chirping him. And he looks at him and says, I kicked your effing ass. Right. Like in the midst of it. And I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far, but he clearly won the fight. Yeah, I don't think there was uh, too much doubt about that. Uh, look, we've got a lot still uh, to cover here on Rinkwide. Uh, we'll get to some listener feedback a little bit later on. Here we'll get to our three-star selection. We'll uh, hear some player and coach reaction as well, the staff that stands out. But right now it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. And it's interesting to see the odds in the Pacific Division, and they are changing uh, before our eyes. The Vancouver Canucks... Again, they lead the National Hockey League uh, in points. So uh, by virtue of that, they lead the Pacific Division. The Canucks are the favorites. Uh, right now, you can get them at 183 to win the Pacific outright. But here's the change. According to Betway, the Edmonton Oilers now have the second best odds to be the division champs at 375. They have passed the Vegas Golden Knights at 425. And the LA Kings, they are fading. Uh, if you still believe in the Kings, you can get them right now. At seven, even on the money line. There you go. That is our Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 plus. Please play responsibly. And as we said, the Edmonton Oilers, with their 12th straight victory, have now moved past the Los Angeles Kings. The Oilers holding down the third divisional spot in the Pacific. And the Kings, uh, they've been in a free fall. Uh, all of a sudden, they find themselves in one of the wild card spots. So that was a big game and a big loss for them. Uh, at home to Nashville, 2-1, to one, same score as the Canucks and the Coyotes. It's Jeff Patterson along with Farhan Lalji. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks defeat the Arizona Coyotes by a score of 2-1. to one. It's Jeff and Farhan with you as we continue to work our way through this post-game podcast, the Canucks, you heard us talk about it. Uh, not their best effort, but good enough to get two more points. So they'll move on now, take on Toronto, and then Chicago is in, St. Louis, and Columbus is the final game on this five-game homestand, and that'll take them up to the All-Star break. And they can't all be masterpieces, but uh, in the eyes of the head coach, with the, all that his team had been through, the travel troubles, the seven straight out on the road and then uh, come on home. They got a, a day off. They had a practice day. And Rick Tockett uh, just liked the fact that his guys were able to to grind out a victory here. I like the way we, you know, we managed the game played. You know, we, we had some moments where uh, throwing the puck away a couple of times. But, you know, coming back, I felt uh, we had enough juice to lock the game down. Um, had some good efforts from some guys, second and third efforts. Well, as we talked about, uh, he liked the start. You know, again, the game... Uh, Second period, Arizona's pushing. They want to win. They're battling for their playoff lives. And you know, we've seen this from the Canucks. I mean, they bend at times, but they rarely break. And I think that uh, would sort of describe the way uh, this one unfolded. Yeah, and he, you know, he talked also in his press conference about how he felt they didn't give up much, right? That even when things weren't going well in the second period, they didn't give up a lot and make it that much more difficult on themselves. And that's kind of been the hallmark on this team, right? Because you don't want to be a team with a low floor and a high ceiling. Their floor all season has been high. So if this is not one of their best efforts and, you know, grind it out and all of those types of things, that's not bad. If the second period was a bad period by their standards, 
it wasn't that bad. You know, on a on a macro level, if you go back to late November, early December, when they went through that nine-game stretch where they were playing arguably their worst hockey of the season, it was win one, lose one. It wasn't a five-game losing streak. Yeah. And so that's that's what's been probably as impressive as anything else is their floor isn't low. Well, it feels like every post-game, he's got uh, praise for one member of that Teddy Bluger, Connor Garland, Dakota Joshua line. Some nights it's praise for all three, and tonight – uh, he liked what he saw from the big guy, Dakota Joshua, who scores the game-winning goal. Yeah, I thought Dakota was really good. Like He was really good. And, you know, you need those guys, those type of guys uh, coming off a 14-day trip, first game back when you, you know, you might not have realized. I thought in the first period we were really good too, but I thought Dakota was a good force tonight. So there you go. He talked about, you know, when the team's maybe not at its best with all of the challenges that they faced here in the last while. You you need some of those guys lower in the lineup. And we say lower in the lineup, but they've progressively worked their way higher in the lineup. And they really are the second line on this team, the way that they're going right now. And sure. we'll see, uh, again, the thought of Teddy Bluger being on their second line, a successful second line at the outset of the season. You know, when they signed Pia Suter in the summer, and I thought, all right, now Bluger is going to be perfectly slotted as a fourth line center and, Somehow, guy has risen to the challenge, taken the opportunity, and that line just in complete lockstep. And uh, it's fun to watch when guys find chemistry, and they certainly have done that. That line started the game. Yeah. And he talked about that as well, that, you know, uh, he thought his first period was good, and he kind of connected it to the same answer, where he he believes that line set the tone. And if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to double check. I think they started the third period as well. But um, you're right. I mean, in terms of deployment and importance to this team right now, uh, given just how non-existent the theoretical second line is, this is the second line. Uh, you know, they're, they have been so good and it's now not a flash anymore. It's, this is who they are. This is a consistent piece of this team that they can lean on in a lot of situations night in and night out. Uh, we'll hear from Quinn Hughes as well. The captain uh, picks up the assist on the Patterson goal, puts it on the T form. Uh, he had that pass to JT Miller on the second period power play as well, where he just wheeled out of the corner. Oh my goodness. And yeah. unfortunately, JT missed the net. And that was part of the second period where they were having trouble uh, finding the target. But the play by Quinn Hughes there, I mean, we shouldn't be amazed by anything this guy does. And yet uh, still finds ways to to dazzle. You know, was this his best game? No, but uh, he, he finds his way on the score sheet and they all end up uh, edging their opponents. So uh, he contributes to the victory and... Uh, kind of like the coach, he he liked the start that he saw from the hockey club. I think we came out ready to go in the first period, and then the second, um, you know, I think we were a little fatigued there, probably physically and mentally, and just uh, grinded one out in the third. I thought we played, pretty, you know, really good shutdown hockey in the third and team hockey. Um, so we'll take the two points, move on, obviously. Saturday's a big game. Interesting, though, to hear him chalk up uh, the second period to both mental and physical fatigue, sort of a, a carryover, I suppose, from the road trip. Yeah, and you know, and I, I've said that they don't make excuses, and I'm not sure he was trying to, right? Um, there's there's a difference between a, a reason and an excuse, and you know whether that was the reason or not. I mean, one thing with Quinn is he's pretty introspective, and he's not afraid to uh, to say something. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to constantly being cliche. So. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact is that you, you could tell that it mattered to them to start the homestand well. And if that didn't necessarily extend to 60, it certainly did for the first 20 minutes. And then they did what they've always done in all third periods virtually uh, all season, right? So, um, you know, they, they had their workmanlike moments. And these are those games, right? Like I, I put a tweet out the other day about how, um, you know, the Columbus game that they lost, it, it just takes me back to 2011. And before game seven, 
Murph was doing a pregame interview with with Henrik Sedin. And Henrik joked with him to the effect of, you know, don't tell me a January game in Columbus. When we play January against Columbus, don't say it's a big game, right? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, because you now know what a big game is. And this is that that game, whether it was the game in Columbus literally or the game against Arizona at home literally as well here, right? Like, the, you know, big picture, you know, like this team knows it's got some, it's got some money in the bank, right? They're not willing to take their foot off the gas, but they're starting to know that it's a it's a longer process. It's going to be a grind, and there's going to be some games where you might be a little less motivated for for whatever reason, but they're still important, right? So they're showing that in their play. And while we're doing quotes, here's one for you from Coyotes coach Andre Tournier. This uh, Kevin Woodley got this uh, for us on his Twitter account, but he said he was very complimentary of the Canucks post game. My feeling after the first period is that this is the best team we've played. They were fast, hard on pucks. They play well in their structure. That's the best team we've played, he said. Wow, there you from go. The, from the fourth place team in the Central Division. Sorry, fifth place team. But in a <laughs> playoff spot if it started today. I'm always fascinated to hear what other teams and other coaches think about the, the Vancouver Canucks and uh, the best team that the Coyotes have played uh, midway past the midway mark of their season. This is game number 43 for them. So so they've played Winnipeg. They've played Colorado on a regular basis. They've played Dallas. Those are three of the best teams in the league. And he says the Vancouver Canucks are the best team in the league. They're the best team they've faced. Well, maybe that describes or explains then why it's a clean sweep for the Vancouver Canucks here on the rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection. Three stars in the building selected by the television crew at Sportsnet. Dakota Joshua... Thatcher Demko and Connor Ingram gets the third star nod on the TV side. I'd go honorable mention for Connor Ingram. He was fine. Neither goaltender had to be spectacular. I mean, relatively low shot totals, 26-21 in favor of the Vancouver Canucks. And the goaltenders did their thing. Uh, but yeah, no issues uh, with Dakota Joshua as the first star. Not only does he score the game-winning goal, uh, he's part of that penalty kill that went two for two on the night. Uh, plays 14 minutes and 19 seconds. Had five hits. And a couple of shots on goal. So uh, another solid night for Dakota Joshua and that line with Teddy Bluger and Connor Garland. Joshua, the first star. I'm going with Elias Pettersson as the second star. And obviously he's had more prominent games. He's had bigger point total games. But when he scores the one-timer to open the scoring, I mean, that's impactful. We know how good the Canucks have been when they get out in front uh, 31st time in 44 games that they've opened the scoring now. I mean, that's a remarkable number as well. We'll get to the stat that stands out here a little bit later on. But uh, big-time goal from a big-time player. And uh, there was a, a freeze frame, a screen grab of the stick flex on that one-timer. And it just it looks like he's shooting with a banana. I mean, it's unbelievable, the, the flex on that stick. And uh, he can make that thing fly. Uh, he did. And... Uh, Put the Canucks out in front at one to nothing. So I've got Elias Patterson as the second star, and I'm going with Thatcher Demko in the 20 saves on the night, the one goal against. And uh, it kind of looks like he is dialed back in here again, and that's good news for him and bad news for the rest of the National Hockey League. Look, I, I don't want to take anything away from, from Patterson because it was a big-time goal and it was an important moment. But JT Miller, 17-2 and two in the faceoff circle. Yeah, I'd have him in, in my top three. And Nikita Zadorov, you know, <laughs> that fight was... Probably as big a moment, you know, I know that uh, Rick Talk had also mentioned it uh, after the game, like that he thought that was big for them. It quieted the game down after all the stuff that was going on early in the game. So um, names to think about as well as uh, as we honor. But, uh, you know, I'm not quibbling with 
uh, with Demko as oh, well. You're because to. 200th you're game, allowed. 200th game, and you know it was a milestone victory and the timeliness of his saves. So uh, if it was me, I would probably go Joshua Miller and Demko third, and and Ilias would be the the honorable mention. Fair enough. Uh, I, I like your honorable mentions. I like the fact that uh, there were lots of candidates, as there so often are for the Vancouver Canucks. A lot of times. It's- and what what a great story Connor Ingram is, though, right? Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. There was a great profile written about him at NHL.com last week. If people haven't had a chance, uh, I would highly recommend. Uh, this guy looked like he was certainly out of the National Hockey League. He was contemplating just walking away from the game, OCD and uh, other issues that uh, were plaguing him, and uh, he's come back with a vengeance and is tied for the NHL league lead in shutouts along with Tristan Jari at five on the season. And again, he did his part uh, hard to win when the team scores one goal, as was the case here. But yeah, it's a great story, and he's a former Kamloops Blazer, so uh, we've got a soft spot for there you go. him. Well, he, he, he said, I mean, you know, because he did enter the league substance abuse program, and, you know, he he talked about it that it saved his life, yeah. not just saved his career. Yeah, you have to feel good for guys like that. And uh, here he is now. He's wrestled the starting job away from the competitors there, you know, holding down the fort as the number one guy in the National Hockey League on a team that is right there knocking on the door of the playoffs. Although uh, this will be a tough setback for them as uh, teams around them gaining ground with this loss. The Vancouver Canucks defeat the Arizona Coyotes by a score of 2-1. to one. We continue to break it all down here. Uh, still ahead, we've got listener feedback. We'll get into our uh, feedback channels and hear what you had to think of uh, the Canucks win over the Coyotes. We'll have our stat that stands out. And yes, a thought or two on those Toronto Maple Leafs that are coming to town. Always fun. Uh, great event and great atmosphere at Rogers Arena. And I'm sure it will be on Saturday as well. So the Canucks come in after a win. The Leafs were winners in Calgary. So both teams coming off victories as they're on a collision course on Saturday. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway. Continuing to break down this 2-1 Canucks victory over the Arizona Coyotes. The Canucks are 6-1-1 one one in their last eight games. And we mentioned a little bit earlier on, but it bears repeating. 15-4-1 now at home. So, you know, it wasn't huge on the entertainment scale, but if the paying customer wants to see the home team win, they do it an awful lot, or at least they have this year at Rogers Arena. So you feel good for the people that have bucked up to get out and support this hockey club and you would imagine that uh, this will become a tougher ticket to find down the stretch when uh, the games really do start to mean something in terms of uh, tuning things up for the playoffs. Yes, I said it. They're headed to the postseason and yeah, can't wait. We've been waiting a long time. They've been waiting a long time. The fans have, obviously, the players, uh, certainly this core group. A guy like Brock Besser, the longest-serving Canuck, hasn't had a chance to play a playoff game at Rogers Arena. But uh, the way that they're going now... Farhan, if they go 4-1 and one on this homestand, and they've already put the first one in the bag, they're going to have 70 points wow. at the All-Star break, which wow. is, uh, I mean, that's a, a stat that stands out. It's not my stat that stands out on uh, Rinkwide tonight, but a chance to 70 points if they win three more. Uh, and there's a chance. Hey, that, serious question. Has it been 10 years since I've traveled to cover a Canuck playoff series? Uh, I guess so, yeah. I mean, the spring of 2015, so nine. Because, I mean, I, like, I was there in Edmonton, right, in the bubble. But right. like you're not going back and forth with a series. All the games are there, and we right. we were doing multiple games, not just Canuck games. Yeah. But it's so it's, it's spring ridiculous. Spring 2015, yeah. Willie D's first year, the 101 point season, and home ice advantage against the Calgary Flames. But uh, they flushed that down the toilet. All right, let's get to the stat that stands out. And you touched on it in the opening segment, but I, I want to dive in a little bit deeper here. Uh, it's the fact that J T. Miller went 17 and two 
on the night in the face-off circle. That is a stat that jumps out at me. He was 12-1 and after 40 minutes and got it to 15-1 and at one point, and then uh, there was a couple of softs late, but uh, just two losses in the face-off circle. And look, not all face-offs are equal, and sometimes you spit out the face-off numbers, and uh, there are a lot of people that will tell you that, uh, you know, if it isn't within something like seven seconds of a face-off, you know, then it doesn't have a direct impact on uh, scoring plays and ultimately uh, goals. Well, the face-off win, JT Miller just cleans the clock of Jack McBain on that one nothing goal. So that was a significant face-off, one of the 17, probably the most important of the 17 that he won on the night. But 17-2, and two, that is some ownership in the face-off circle. Well, and he was on the ice for three takes in the last minute. And he wins the first two, and you know they're separated by an icing call. Uh, and then he's got to take one more, and they give up a, a shot off a lost faceoff. You know they gave up that shot with a second to go, but you know at the end of that, like he's got to be pretty exhausted, right? I mean the amount of work that he's doing, and you know they've they've one of the things about the lotto line being assembled under Rick Tockett that's different than what we've seen before is that JT Miller's the center. And there are times when Pedersen takes the draws. Uh, you know, we're not we're not suggesting otherwise, but JT Miller is the one guy that's in every one of those difficult situations. And when he's rolling and he's just kind of feeling that groove, which guys do when they take faceoffs, um, you've got to continue to roll them out there, right? Because I, I don't think anybody else, who else, uh, I think the next high was Teddy Bluger. Uh, Teddy Bluger took 13. He was eight and five in the circle. Nobody else took more than seven. JT Miller's doing the lion's share of work in that area. So just to look at JT Miller's night in the face-off circle, 8-0 against Nick Bugstad. Like, Bugstad's a big dude. Like, you'd think somewhere along the line he'd just lean on JT and be able to win a face-off through brute force. But JT goes 8-0 against Nick Bugstad, 4-0 against Jack McBain. He was 2-for-3 against both Alex Kerfoot and Logan Cooley and won his only face-off against Clayton Keller. Again, 17-2 and in the face-off circle, 89% on the night. For JT Miller, and that gave the Canucks a, a wide edge in faceoffs. They won 72% of the draws uh, overall in this hockey game. All right, uh, let's get to some listener feedback on our social channels at Rinkwide Van. We asked you what was your biggest takeaway from the 2 1 win over the Yotes. Big Sven says Hoaglander playing in the last two minutes. If he can get out of the doghouse, then perhaps Kuzmenko can also. Feels like a steeper climb. For Andre Kuzmenko, although uh, I suppose last year, you know, Niels Hoaglander basically played his way off this team and, and down to the American Hockey League, but back. And don't think he has to worry about going to the minors anytime soon. But still, I'm not convinced that Rick Tockett has full and complete trust in Niels Hoaglander. I think he appreciates, uh, you know, the dog on bone sort of forecheck that uh, you get from Hoaglander almost every night out. Lawai says the Canucks starts have to get better. They seem to have their legs. Uh, the first 10 minutes of games, the Canucks starts have, oh, the Canucks starts have started to get better. All right. There were too many starts in that. I get that. They had a good start in Columbus at the end of the trip where we thought with the travel trouble from Buffalo to Columbus and maybe a little worried, and they had the first eight shots in that hockey game. And here, uh, yeah, I mean, they they had the jump on the Coyotes 14-4 to in the first period. So, uh, you know, that first game back off the road trip, Farhan, you and I have both uh, been around this team long enough to know that, you know, those aren't just words. Like, there has been an issue for the Vancouver Canucks coming off the road for whatever reason. Rick Tockett talked about it this morning. It's a mindset. He didn't want to hear it, didn't want any part of it. And uh, you know, I think he got 
uh, the start that he was looking for from his hockey club. Yeah, and I think that's kind of been one of the hallmarks, especially after like maybe the first week of the season, that they're really not a team that's about excuses, right? And when you look at what they went through on the road between Buffalo and Columbus, and they had to drive back to Toronto and then take a flight from Toronto to get to Columbus, uh, traveling the day before the game as opposed to two days before the game. And, you know, for me, it's the end of a long road trip, which makes it difficult. You know, the additional drive is not the end of the world. Like you could play a hockey game the night before and then have to travel after that to get in. But the players weren't using it as an excuse. When the trip was over, they conceded, look, we're tired, uh, you know, and, and we need to get home. But going into that, that was never part of it. Right. And, and I think they felt good about the fact they were able to get a, a point. Yeah, it was the first blown third period lead, theoretically, but they still managed a point in it. And it's still a, a hugely successful road trip. But going into that game, there weren't a lot of excuses to be made about what they had dealt with because, you know, they, they probably dealt with worse at various times. Right. So I, I appreciate that about what this group is doing in just not making excuses, not looking for reasons why it doesn't work. I think they're finding ways to turn that into motivation on how to stay focused. I think Rick Tockett knows which buttons to push and when to make bigger statements, right? So, you know, they they lose that game, but he talked about the totality of the trip after the Columbus game. Just, I'm really proud of the guys, right? And then here, he laid the challenge before them. We're not going to let that fall apart. We're not going to let that uh, be the excuse for why we don't start. Put it out there. We know it's a problem. Let's address it. Let's fix it. And so I, I think he knows when to push and, and they're buying in. And they bounce back from yet another loss, and there haven't been that many, obviously. But uh, the fact that they haven't lost back-to-back games since the middle of November, like it really, that's that's wild uh, to me. And then I, I saw somewhere where Florida lost its third in a row, and then it was pointed out that the Canucks are the only team in the NHL that hasn't lost three straight. Wow. They haven't lost two straight since, I think, November 16th and 18th or something like that in Calgary and at home to the Seattle Kraken. And it's only happened twice this year. They lost in Philly and Tampa early out on that road trip, uh, first or second week of the season. And then they lost the two uh, divisional games in November. Those are the only times all year that this team has dropped back-to-back games. And so uh, uh, they respond to the Columbus loss. And even at that, it was a shootout loss. They got a single point, but they get both points against Arizona. Derek, it was boring. But sometimes you have to win the boring games to be a good team. And ultimately, they all count uh, the same at the end of the year. The 10-1 win and the 2-1 win both yield two points in the standings. Jacob says Demko has been one of the top three goalies in the league. I think there are some that would say top two that, you know, really it's going to be a two-horse race between him and Connor Hellebuck. And what Hellebuck is doing, what the Winnipeg Jets have done, is incredible. And the fact that two Canadian teams are right up there neck and neck in mid-January for top spot in the National Hockey League is a a wild story in and of itself. Right around Christmas, there were games there where there were a few more goals on Demko than I would have liked and probably he would have liked. But ultimately, you know, they're still finding ways to win. But uh, he does seem to have tightened things up. And as we said earlier, one goal now in his last two games. Well, and you you look at the timeliness of a lot of these, right? Like I've, I've mentioned a couple of times the final minute saves that he had to make he had to make a save in the final second of the second period as well, right? There was, a, I think it was against uh, Clayton Keller. Uh, you know, like there are moments in those games where, you know, somebody will will make a gaffe. You know, we talked about the uh, the Lafferty turnover that led to the Tyler Myers penalty. There was a pretty good save there by Thatcher Demko on a great Keller chance. So he's making those plays at those important times and, that's what you need, right? I mean, they didn't have to lean on him that heavily in this game in terms of just overall shot volume. They kept the rebounds away from him, but when he was needed, he was there. And, uh, you know, his 200th NHL game tonight, 
104 wins, which I think is second all time through 200 games in franchise history, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think Dan Cluche is, is number one. I can't remember who was number two. It might have been Roberto. And um, uh, I think Demko tied him with uh, 104 wins. And, and I mean, think about that. There's been some some lean, lean years that Thatcher Demko's had to play through. Yeah, well, I mean, early in his career, you know, they couldn't score goals to save their lives, right? That makes it pretty difficult on a goaltender. Uh, this team, that's not the issue for the Vancouver Canucks, although they did have some troubles putting pucks in the net in this one, but they got two and that was enough to get the victory. Uh, we'll leave the last word here in the inbox to David, who says, Kuz benched in the third. This is a bigger issue than PD's slow not signing thing. No, uh, it which isn't. is a bigger issue. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. The franchise's future doesn't depend on Andre Kuzmenko. To that point, could his value possibly be lower? Like if you're a Canuck fan and they trade this player, they just signed him to a two-year deal last year at 5.5 per, um, you know, and we know, right? I mean, is, are there is there a team out there that's going to look at this guy and say, yeah, yeah, we're just going to reunite him with player X and he's going to do great. He just needs to change the scenery. Like, wouldn't you be happy if you just could get the cap hit off the books at this point? Or do you actually think that he's got significant value. I, and I'm not leading you, I'm not offering you a leading question. I'm asking you the question. Do you think right now that based on what he did a year ago, there is still significant value to Andre Kuzmenko, who's now gone nine without a goal? And we know that moving contracts off the books has been an issue for this hockey club. You know, I, I think there's some value there. I still think there's a team that would take a flyer. It's not like this guy has bounced around a bunch of teams and he's not that far removed from being a 39 goal scorer. I, I think there's a team out there that would be willing to take a chance. But again, uh, what's the cost? Tell, tell me. I, I don't have the answer to that for you. Would they I, want I, the Canucks to retain. Could they, could they clear that whole number? Uh, I, yeah. Like there's one year left after this one. Like I look at Brock Besser and he was a distressed asset, obviously. Like, I think Kuzmenko could score, again, 39? No, 25? Yeah. I mean, in the right position with the right coach for him. And you know, I guess that's part of it. Like, yeah, teams he need, acquiring he needs, teams. He needs Bruce Boudreaux, right? Like, he needs exactly. a coach that that's isn't overly concerned about what he's doing at the other end of the ice. And there's not a lot of those out there. There's not. So you're right. Um, Could you imagine what it would look like if he played for torts? <laughs> no, no. Like, I, I, like I, I just wonder at this point, right? And you're right. He's he's not that far removed from 39 goals. Um, but, you know, a team's going to have to be willing to bring him in, put him with a legitimate center and give him PP one time. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure there's a lot of that out there right now. I do wonder about one of the bottom feeders taking a bit of a flyer, take him on for the remainder of this year where it doesn't matter, play him a lot, let him make some mistakes and try to build him back up so that you have a player for next year. And if they can get him at a cost that, you know, isn't going to impact them an awful lot, that there might be a team out there. You know, the expectations were different a year ago because the Canucks were that team. Right. And you could keep rolling him out there and see if he could figure it out. Number one, um, you know, they kept him with Pedersen the whole time. He got all the power play minutes, but the team didn't play with the level of structure. There were so many players on this team that were a disaster in their own end. It was almost like Kuzmenko didn't stand out until talk had got here. Right. Like just yep. the expectation level was so different. And if you're scoring, there's a lot of coaches that are going to look away. 
But if you're not scoring, and, and certainly could they have handled it differently? Sure, but not with what they're trying to set structure-wise and culture-wise. Like if you would have handled Kuzmenko in the best way for Kuzmenko, maybe he's at 20 goals right now. I mean, not right now. Maybe he's on 20 goal pace right now, but would it be enough, right? Like would his offense be enough that you're willing to live with what's going on at the other end? Like I, I don't know that this group could do that, whereas last year the stakes were so different. Like you can't, you just can't criticize what Rick Tockett is doing given where they're in the standings. Right. And and I just, like, at some point, though, they have to make a decision here. Like, he's not going to play in the playoffs. Like, this team's headed to the playoffs, but you think Rick Tockett would trust this player in the postseason? And you can't, like, you can't have a guy in your lineup that is a part-time player. Uh, no. And I'm talking about the playoffs. Like, you can't. You can't go into playoff games. Playoff games can go deep into overtime. Like, are you just going to sit this guy and go with 11 forwards? And like, it complicates matters greatly. They, they, and so if he can't play in January against the Arizona Coyotes or he can't play in you know, early January in St. Louis at the start of the road trip, I, I just I don't see how Rick Tockett would want to go into playoff battle uh, with this player. And if that's the case, then I do think the organization's going to have to figure this out. Uh, before the trade deadline. All right, uh, Canucks take the win. They'll practice on Friday, get ready for a 4 o'clock start. Of course, it's a 4 o'clock Love start. It. The Leafs are in town Love the on four Saturday. In and out, uh, get on with your evening. Uh, Austin Matthews comes to town, pretty much guaranteed to score because that's what he does. A hat-trick in Calgary, up to 37 goals. And I, I frame it this way, Farhan, like Brock Besser, it feels like he has scored in an outrageous clip, and he has, and he's at 27, and Austin Matthews is at 37. It wasn't that long ago that they were tied, basically, neck and neck, and Austin Matthews, just on a nightly basis, is pretty much unstoppable. Team around him, they've been stoppable, but they do get a win in Calgary. They beat the Leafs by a score of 4-3, to three. so Toronto comes in here after the victory at the Saddle Dome. It'll be fun. Toronto beat the Canucks uh, their first meeting of the year back uh, in mid-November. Canucks, I'm sure, will remember that. And a little different team on home ice. And certainly playing better now than they were then, although they were playing reasonably well back then as well. But uh, it's always an event when the Leafs come to town, but particularly the way that Austin Matthews is going. I mean, that just it feels like this guy, the expectations are there, and he lives up to the most nights that he's going to put on a show. 70-goal pace. Amazing. And and the fact that he's doing that with the train wreck that's around him, right? And, yeah. you know, Nylander signs, um, maybe that helps take a little bit of pressure off what may or may not be going on in that building. But we do know that roster is so flawed in terms of what's behind the big four. And like, I mean, I, I talked to some of our producers in Toronto and it, if they had lost tonight, it would have been like sky is falling moment tomorrow. Right in Vancouver. Oh, there was talk. If there was talk, if they lost in Calgary, that Sheldon Keefe would be playing for his job. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you. So it's it's amazing that it's it's at that point for the Leafs, given the expectations there. But like I said, I mean, the roster is incredibly flawed, and it, you don't know what you're going to get on a nightly basis. You don't know what's going to happen in behind um, Austin Matthews. And and look, at the end of the day, this team's sitting at 52 points. They're in a playoff position today. Like they're you know their third. They're third uh, in the division. You know, they're, uh, what are they, 22, 13, and 8? Like, it, it hasn't been awful, but there's just different levels of expectation, right? 
Yeah, and uh, it's generally fun. The Canucks have had uh, remarkable success against Toronto over the last decade or so. Again, they lost to the Leafs uh, on a Saturday night in Toronto, so uh, we'll see if it's a redemption game for the Vancouver Canucks. They just want to keep things going here. I think they need uh, to be bad, though, right? Like, the Canucks find ways to have Thatcher Demko stand on his head, and they pull these ridiculous games out when they're terrible. I think they lost because they're actually pretty good. So let's let's see what winds up happening when both teams have something to play for as opposed to previously when the Canucks are just trying to play spoiler in front of a national audience. Well, that's when we'll be back. Uh, our next uh, episode of Rink Wide will come your way after the Leafs and the Canucks. And as uh, you mentioned, the good thing it's an early start because uh, that'll get the podcast out and a relatively early hour on Saturday as well. Chance to listen to it Saturday night or maybe you save it for Sunday listening. Uh, that's your call. Uh, but we appreciate uh, all the listeners, uh, all of the support for Rinkwide as we continue to push on here through the dog days of the season. But Saturday should be some fun. Looking forward to the game and looking forward to breaking it down afterwards. For Farhan, this is Jeff. As always, thanks so much for listening. The Vancouver Canucks defeat the Arizona Coyotes by a score of 2-1. to one. This is Rinkwide Vancouver, and it's brought to you by Betway. <laughs>